Quante Bosco Adams. Bosco was sentenced to 35 years for the distribution of marijuana, escaped three times, earning the nickname Houdini. He lawyered himself out in 16 years and became the subject of a documentary narrated by Morgan Freeman. Welcome to the Benzinga Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Noto. In 2006, over 2.3 million Americans were incarcerated, but only one individual managed to escape a federal maximum security wing of a prison while under 24-hour surveillance. That was Bosco. His story is not only told here on this podcast, but it's also the subject of an upcoming blockbuster film. Stick around. I know you're going to enjoy this one. Your story is, is very unique. And... If they haven't read your book, they should. They should pick it up. Uh, it's amazing. So, you, you know, I, I started off by saying you have three names, Quante, Bosco, Adams. But yeah. <laughs> you also have another name that you were known as, Houdini. I think that's the best way to, inter to introduce you to uh, listeners who might not know your tale. Why do they call you Houdini? Because I kept escaping from federal prison. The marshals decided that it was there was actually no place to hold me, even though there was, but they would jokingly say that there was no place to hold me because every every chance I got, I was trying to escape. You know, and no matter what circumstance they put me on, I was finding a way to escape. Now it's not once, not twice, but three times. Actually a little bit more than that if you consider some of the other attempts to <laughs> <laughs> that really didn't get too much too far. But I have to ask, I mean, do you think that they just didn't learn after the first time or were you getting creative the second, third and fourth time? Like walk me through the circumstances. Yeah, I was getting more creative with each one. I learned, picked up different, different ideas and I became more determined and, you know, with determination you, for some reason, when you're determined about something, you'll figure out a way to make it happen. And I think the fact that they kept locking me in solitary confinement also helped because it gave me the time to just think and ponder and strategize and figure out a way to, to actually penetrate their security system. What was the prison? What was the security system? It was a, all of them were high security prisons. All the times, I was locked in solitary confinement. The first time I was in general population and I was confined to a cell and I cut the bar out the window. Uh, but after that, I, after that first attempt, they locked me in solitary confinement and it became more strict. So even after the second one, when I was in solitary confinement, they transferred me to this other the maximum security and they locked me in a cell 24 hours a day. And in that cell, they had a camera in it monitoring me and I escaped and got away from there. So it was like, it seemed like the harder, it, the, the more strict, the, uh, the more security, the more, the more easier it became for me. <laughs> but which prisons were they? Uh, Alton jail in Illinois, uh, St. Clair County in Illinois. Jackson County in Illinois. So when you started escaping, did they have some prison experts come in and be like, look, what are we doing wrong here? Because this guy's outsmarting us. 
Uh, I'm not sure if they did, but I know that they started training uh, correctional officers by showing them my escape and videos of the escapes that I were doing. So, I, so. I definitely became a part of their, uh, their training course. And what is solitary confinement like? I, I'd imagine that is next to impossible to escape. And you're saying you, you sawed off, you found a way to cut the, the bars? Yeah, so solitary confinement is when you're locked in a cell by yourself and you can't come out of that cell. A lot of times you're, they bring you out for one hour a day and they might lock you inside of a cage, a red cage or inside of a TV room or whatever, a day room to where you can watch TV, shower, and make a phone call or whatever within right. that one hour time frame. But the other 23 hours a day, you're locked inside of your cell. And, uh, solitary confinement is where they put high-risk individuals or people who are constantly uh, disrupting the prison. Now, you were in there for cannabis possession. Yes. And that was for attempting, it? attempting to possess cannabis. I never Att even had it. Yeah. So just just for attempting to possess it, you were in jail for how long? I was sentenced to 35 years. 35 years just for attempting? Yeah, 35 years just for attempting. Okay, so when you were there, you said at one point, I think you started studying law. Because obviously anybody listening to this thinks that just can't be right. 35 years for just attempting cannabis possession just sounds so screwy and um, uh, a criminal in and of itself. Um, I mean, that's our system. That's the war on drugs. Right. And, you know, with this federal war on drugs, it was give out the most harsh sentence you can to try to deter others from getting involved or specifically really not to deter, but to more so to encourage those individuals to start cooperating and providing information on others so that the cycle could continue. Right. And were there any lawyers who tried to help you like reduce that time or how did yeah, that, that help? There were, there were plenty of lawyers who would come and none of them were ever able to accomplish it. I, I started teaching myself the law at the very end and uh, filed a motion myself, represented myself, and I was able to get it reduced. While you own. were in prison? Yeah, while I was in prison. So you sort of, that's stuff that you sort of see in, in movies, like uh, the criminal, you know, in confinement, you know, trying to, who's not supposed to be in jail and he's trying to study law. But that, for you, that was a reality. It's the entire story. It's the entire story. That's why it is a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's because it's, it's the determination. You, you, I tried escaping, and then I got to the point to, you know what, let me try the legal way. Let me see. Let me, let me stop trying to escape. Let me start teaching myself the law, and let me try to learn a legal, find a legal loophole rather than creating a hole within the ceiling or the ground and tunneling my way out. Once I started doing that, I applied the same determination and it started coming to me and I was successful at that. Why were you so determined to escape? I had a daughter. When I got arrested, I found out that I had a child on the way. So my daughter was born eight months after I was arrested. 
And so I was constantly trying to get out so that I can be a present father. Didn't want to repeat the same cycle that my father had repeated and his father had repeated. So I was determined to break that cycle. And so at one point, you're just like, I got to stop trying to escape and get caught. Because if I'm not going to be successful, if the, if the, the guards are going to get wise to my attempts, I guess got to study law. How did you start studying law? Really, it wasn't so much that of that. It was once after the third escape, when I escaped from the prison in the cell that they had the camera monitoring me, the National Geographic Channel produced and aired a documentary about that. And I started getting mail from people all around the world. So now I was famous, so to speak, you know, and uh, I started when I just the letters and support that I was getting, it made me reevaluate whether I wanted to escape because people started Mm. saying that I was smart. You know, I'm like, okay, if I'm smart, then I can figure out a, a smart way to do this. I can figure out a way within their legal system and and get myself out. And so I gave it a try. And were you able to just get a hold of books? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Case law. A lot of times you have law libraries where, you know, they'll bring you books to read, law books you can check out. And then there was a time when I was in solitary confinement where it would, things were so strict for me that the only thing that I can get was mail from my attorneys. Mm. I couldn't get reading books. I couldn't get personal letters. And so I would just have my attorneys send me a bunch of case law to read. And I would read that case law for recreational purposes. As I repeatedly read the same case law over and over just to take my mind away from the prison and, and you know, escape, so to speak, I began to interpret law pretty good and you know and that's how i really became good at law just from reading case law over and over again any cases in particular i mean not none in particular i would just read all type of case law whatever i can read most of the time it was case law dealing particularly with uh circumstances similar to mine you know, drug drug trafficking, marijuana cases, speedy trial cases, because I had been waiting to go to trial for nearly five years. Mm. Why do you think it took so long? Probably because I was constantly escaping and, uh, you know, they were constantly, the feds were still investigating. And and I wasn't, I wasn't really complaining because the, the way I figured that is the longer that I could sit around there to before I was actually convicted and sentenced, the easier my chances of escaping were. So I didn't really complain too much about it. Did it ever get physical with the with the guards? No, never got physical. Because like I was, you know, for the folks listening, Bosco is a is a big guy. <laughs> you're, you're very tall. You're, I think you're about what six five. Yeah, six four and three quarters. Six five with shoes on. Yeah. So like, and you know, I can imagine. It's you know it's intimidating to see like oh man he's out now we got to go you know apprehend him again and bring him back like what did like what was there how did they treat you when that happened I mean of course they're coming hostile you know they have guns and they have plenty of them <laughs> <Big ones. laughs> 
they got more people with guns behind them, and they got military <laughs> behind that, you know. So, so at, at that on. point, you're just like, all right, you got me. Like you didn't try to. Uh, nah, because you know, at the same time, I still had to make sure that I was around for another date to try it again, and so I had to be smart about that. Okay, if they got me, they got me. You know, I've I've been caught before and escaped again, and so let's let's repeat the cycle. Let's right. go in and let's be humble and let's you know try to rock him to sleep. Try again another time. When did you start documenting your story? After the National Geographic Channel aired that documentary and I started getting mail from people is when I decided that I was going to share my story on paper to give people more details about my story because people were writing and they wanted to know more. And ironically, they all opined that I didn't deserve to be in prison, but we had a criminal justice system which said differently. And so I wanted to kind of like share everything about me so that people can decide whether I deserve to be in there or not. And also for those who thought that I didn't deserve to be in there to give them ways that they can help prevent other people from finding themselves in that circumstance. And also to just share my story to shed light to people yeah. who didn't understand individuals like me who come from communities like mine to where is there's this misperception that, you know, young black men who come from Compton and grew up in that culture that we're just inherently dangerous and violent. And that's not the case. It's really that we're just a product of our environment. And mm. we tend to take the roads that are available to us. And when I was growing up, there weren't any roads available other than the ones that I decided to take. Had I had someone to show me something differently, I probably would have been a lawyer. You know, I probably would have done a, a something. Well, I most likely would have done something differently, but I took advantage of the opportunities that were present to me. And unfortunately, in, in communities like that, there aren't too many opportunities. What? So where? We have, where are you? Where were you from? Where did you grow up? In Compton, California, South Los Angeles. And were you, I mean, w give me an idea as to how you started out. Like, were you, were you um, disinterested in school? Were you a good student? Or did you just get involved with folks who just were, I don't know, you, when you talk about the roads that you chose. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's the where people don't understand. And that's why I wanted to share all that in my book, because the school is no different than the neighborhood. The schools that we have access to are identical to the street corners that we hang out on as kids. The same people are there in the school. Sometimes the same people teaching in the schools are the same people from communities like that, or either there are people from communities who don't understand. So there's a disconnect. And they believe that a person has the option, that the person has what's Really, we do have an option, but well, we have the, the choice. Every individual has the ability to make a choice. But when your options are narrow, you don't have too many different things to choose from. And so a lot of times, sometimes you have where there's a disconnect between the students and the teachers, and they don't understand. And so they think, well, you know, just do better. 
do the right thing. That's not how it works. Right. Sometimes children don't see and don't understand and don't believe the right thing. And that's the case how it was for me growing up in the 80s and 90s. I didn't see any other choices. So I, the right thing, I didn't know what the right thing was. Who do you credit for, I guess, I don't know, helping you see that your story could potentially help others? Was it the letters that you were receiving? Or there, yes. was there a particular person in, in particular? It was the letters. It was the letters and the determination to make something of my life and my story, even though I was locked in prison without any end in sight. I figured that if I would die in there, I wanted people to understand me. And I wanted particularly the criminal justice system to understand me and the people who didn't understand people from my community and who sided with the criminal justice system to let them see how unfair it really was. And the only way they could see that is to understand that I was a human and that I was no different than them and their children. And that if given better opportunity, I likely wouldn't have found myself in a criminal justice system. So having a book out is a very powerful thing because it's, it's your words, it's published, it's out there along with a documentary. I mean, that's a great way to, spread the word on how um, awful our criminal justice system is. So 16 years, and when you get out, what was that day like? Because then I was like, I have this story to tell. Did you just immediately get to work? Did you go and spend, yeah. you just want to spend time I, with your daughter? What What was it like? Well, I couldn't afford that. But of course, yeah, I, I went straight out, got my daughter, and went through a custody battle, got full custody of my daughter. But I went to work started working on production of the movie immediately because I had to, you know, I'm getting old, you know, I needed to start securing some type of wealth and particularly start setting up to where I can take care of my daughter. So I didn't have the opportunity to just go sit still and spend time with her constantly. She was with me on set every day. So we were spending time together all the time. She was with me every single minute and, but I was working at the same time. But now, did you have a, even before that, before the movie even gets set up for production, there's the writing process. Did you have a writing partner? Well, all, just... all of that took place while I was in prison. I actually started right, you know, I started this, we started this maybe like a year and a half before I got out. Wow. I was working. So the, the goal was to produce this movie while I was in prison, just to share my story and hopefully you know, get people to support my release. But I ended up getting myself out in the, right after we finished writing the screenplay. So screenplay and novel, or, or biography really, are both being written in prison at the same time? Yeah, all, all of that was done in prison. The book was actually self-published while I was in prison. Okay, and when you, when you come out, you're just hitting the road and, and trying to get financing. What was that like? You're yeah. like, here, I got the book. I got my documentary. Here's my story. Yeah. And what was the response like? Exactly. That's it. And once people heard the story, they were like, you know what? I want to be a part of it. And just hitting the ground, hitting up just, you know, the regular average individuals, no VCs, no Wealthy people, just individuals, you know, who might have $20,000 saved in the bank. Oh, sure, I'll contribute that. And just a bunch of individuals start getting behind the story because they loved it. 
But um, so there was no Hollywood folks involved at first. It was just really almost no. like a, a crowdsourcing thing. Yes, no Hollywood folks involved at the first. But then how do you, you eventually did make inroads to uh, some Hollywood heavy hitters though. Oh yeah, as far as the cast, it's right. definitely. And a lot of that was just through, you know, people who know people. So who's so who's in it? Who do we who can we expect to see in Bosco, the motion picture? You got uh, Aubrey Joseph from Cloak and Dagger, he's playing me. You got Tyrese Gibson from Fast and Furious, and Thomas Jane from The Punisher, uh Vivica A. Fox from Kill Bill, Nikki Blonsky from Hairspray. Uh, Theo Rossi from Sun Anarchy, DC Young Fly from Wildin' Out. Those are pretty much the big names in it. There. That's an amazing cast. Yeah. How, so did they? When did they start to come on? Did, did like Vivica A. Fox come on, and then the rest came on, or like or Tyrese? Nah, it's it was a trip because it was we were we were putting it together as we were going along. We started filming just with you know, a handful of money, didn't have a full budget, didn't have a full cast, and just started going out there knocking stuff out. And, and people were coming on board as we were going along. Who who directed it? Nicholas Pino. How did you meet I'm Nicholas? Young. I met Nicholas through one of my uh, co-producers uh, when I was in prison, and we decided that we were going to start putting the film together. They reached out and found Nicholas. Nicholas had won some awards for screenplay writing. So me and Nicholas, we would talk a lot on, on the phone and, and go over the script when I was in prison. I, I know from experience that there's this um, uh, three big accomplishments when it comes to making an independent film. Getting a film made is a huge accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, getting into the festival is the another huge. <laughs> that is a hurdle, man. And Toronto is is one of the big ones. There's uh, also South by Southwest. There's Sundance. Are you uh, dedicating a certain amount of financing to just getting the word out and sending it to those festivals as well? Yeah, and then just putting in the work, just you know, putting together the best quality uh, product and presenting it right. And uh, using the same energy that I use so far, everything I've been doing, such as escaping out of prison, escaping from prison, representing myself in the federal court and winning, getting out and raising the funds to produce this movie, getting full custody of my daughter, and just getting off probation, just all of the things that I've been accomplishing, applying that same energy. And sometimes I think it's not even so much me. I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing, but I think sometimes it's just meant to be. You know, sometimes this 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 train ride, it's going where it's going, and you just gotta enjoy the ride. And I think that's what's happening here. I think a lot of it is is meant to be, and there's good energy, and there's the universe is conspiring with me here. Where 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 is the source of that energy? What gives you that that drive? Because a lot of people, they just, they wouldn't be, they would break, you know, and, and, and you didn't. You, you just, what you just said, enjoy the ride. It's, that is just um, something that folks with even trivial problems can't even, you know, admit to themselves that it's just a ride. I know, think so. once you start fighting for stuff, 
and you fail and you repeatedly fail and you lose and you fail. And then if you get back up, that's the thing. When you continuously get back up, you start training yourself to continuously get back up. And when you get to that phase, that mindset, then everything is just becomes a, a ride. You just start enjoying it. You're like, okay, you know, I'm going to fail sometimes, but I'm not going to even focus on that failure because I'm going to get back up afterward. And if you keep get back, if you continue to get up after the fall, you're going to eventually accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. And so now it's to the point to where I don't even focus on the failures. And then when you don't even, once you get to that point, it's just like everything is positive now. And when you're constantly in that positive mode, then you're going to continuously just attract positive things. And when you get to that phase, you're going to get more wins than losses. I imagine spending time with your daughter, it contributes to that positivity and is a huge win every day. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, you now you have full custody of your daughter. You spend a lot of time with her and you want to spend more time with her. Yeah. And looking from where I'm coming from in my life over the past couple of decades, right now I'm already winning. Right now I'm in a great place. Even though I don't have financial wealth, I have my daughter and I have freedom. And those are the two most, those are the most valuable things that a person can ask for freedom and physical health. <laughs> That's the, you know, once you have those things, you have the people you love and you care about around you, then nothing else really matters. You can, you can make do with whatever, you know, even if we had 10 people living in a one bedroom house and we're frying top ramen noodle, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's the mindset that you have about it. And, coming from a prison in solitary confinement, eating the worst food and not having that freedom and having to deal with men that you don't know and don't care for, who don't care for you. You learn to appreciate the little things. And I think that right there is what contributes to the mindset that I have. I don't cry over spoiled milk. I take mm. it and I add sugar to it and make, you know, make cottage cheese or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> You got to you got to make something of it or else it's just a waste. Yeah. And when you're talking when you're talking about your life, I can't just consider, you know, those years to be a waste. I'm, I want to make something of it, make it count, even though they were not good experiences. Do you take your story on the road? Do you talk to kids in schools and and after school programs? I think that they would get a lot out of hearing your story. Um, especially if they're they're feeling like you are or if they're worried about where their road might take them. I definitely that is definitely one of my passions and where I see myself here in the next year or two, traveling and speaking. I haven't made it to high schools yet, but I hope to make it to a bunch of high schools and share my story. I think that a lot of people can benefit from my story, not only kids, adults also because it's one of resiliency. It shows that when a person is ambition and driven that you can accomplish anything, no matter the cards you deal, whatever cards you deal, it's, it's about learning how to play those cards to the best of your ability and making the most of it. You're looking to sell equity in the film, right? If there's folks listening to this interview and they would like to perhaps come on board as a co-producer or a financier, or if you're... Um, 
selling equity and 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 a, and a piece of the film. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I have a lot of equity in the film, and if people, you know, some people like to be a part of it, there's an opportunity where they can get a piece of my equity, a little piece, not much, you know, a few points here or there or whatever, and you know, I can use a lot of that that fund to capital to use to invest in uh, the soundtrack and other projects that I have that are ancillary to the actual movie merchandise and other things that I plan to put together. So yeah, there's an opportunity there. If anybody's interested, they can definitely reach out to me and contact me, whether it's through email at quante8 at iCloud.com. That's Q-U-A-W-N-T-A-Y, number eight at iCloud. Or even give me a call. I'm old school, 661-917-5418. And we also forgot to mention the documentary with Morgan Freeman, The Great Escape, which has already been produced and going to be airing on a history channel, if not this summer, for sure, this fall. Excellent. All right. So History Channel, Morgan Freeman, Doc, he narrates your story, correct? Yeah, he narrates my story, correct. Man, that must be really surreal to have Morgan Freeman narrate your story. That's like having God narrate your story. He played yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was the he was the guy who narrated one of the greatest it's prison awesome. escape movies all of all time. Yeah. Is that did you see that movie before you were locked up, and did it inspire yeah. you in any way? I, I thought, I, I, you know, I ironically I saw that movie while I was in prison. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean they showed you that movie? Yeah, just one day I was out in the wreck cage watching TV, and it came on AMC or something, and that's the first I sat there and watched it. And I'm like, oh, that was a sign. That, that so I when you were caught, did you just say? Look, I, I watched, I was inspired by watching the TV that you guys do. <laughs> you know, that's funny, right? Well, I think that we're going to have um, a modern day Shawshank Redemption uh, film coming up. And uh, yeah. I'm very excited to see it. I wish you all the luck and in getting this thing seen and your story heard. And uh, I would love to do a follow-up interview. Uh, in, in some time. So thank you so much for coming on Benzinga Interviews. And let's be sure to keep in touch, Basco. All right, for sure. Thanks for having me, Tony. Thank you, guys.